Inspired By, a podcast brought to you by Six. Hello, I'm Hannah Wise, and this is Inspired By. In this podcast series, I invite experts from Six and other representatives from the Financial Centre to talk about their inspirations. My guest today is Andrea Weidemann, the director of the Swiss Finance Museum. She tells us why toy maker Marguerite Steiff, an entrepreneur against all odds, is a constant motivation for her work, and why the only finance museum in the banking country of Switzerland is also a hall of fame for global entrepreneurship. Welcome, Andrea. How are you? Hi, Hannah. Good morning. So Marguerite Steiff, I have to admit that I had never heard of her and I'm kind of kicking myself because I really should have heard of her when, you know, I actually looked her up and find out, found out what she did and who she was. So perhaps we can start by you explaining a little bit about her. Yes, definitely. For me, it was the same as for you. I knew the teddy bears. I knew the, you know, the toys, the stuffed toys that she made or that Steiff makes. But um, I actually didn't know about herself. Um, so she she was born in 1847, so quite a long time ago, in the southern part of Germany. Um, and as a very young child, she caught a fever and from that um, developed polio. So she was disabled. Um, she was in a wheelchair from very young age on. Um, and against all those odds, she actually managed to convince her family that she would go to school, that she you know wanted to get an education. Um, she did a training to become a seamstress and from that, you know, started doing, um, she started sewing little, little elephants that were actually supposed to be pin cushions, but then they turned into co- toys. And from that, her, her, I want to say teddy bear empire developed. Mm. So and it was, it was an empire, but it was, you know, at first it wasn't an empire because she had tried to kind of develop the business in Germany and then take it abroad, but it wasn't successful the first time she tried. But then many years later, an American came over to Germany, found the teddy bears and then made them the international success story that they are. Yes, correct. So she, when she ran the business and she was always, or the the business today is still family owned, right? So um, when she first founded it and she ran it, um, it was very focused on Germany. It was very focused on on actually all sorts of animals, but not teddy bears. Um, and when she became a little bit older and it was clear that she wouldn't be able to, you know, to lead the company much longer, she gave over to her nieces and nephews. She didn't have any children of her own. Um, and her nephew was then the one who brought in the teddy bear. And with the teddy bear, um, the, the international success also started. The teddy bear, well, I think maybe it's a little bit of an urban legend. It's not really proven, but apparently somebody took the teddy bear to the U.S. and then Theodore Roosevelt really liked the teddy bear. And that's why the teddy bear is called. Oh, yes, of course, because of Teddy Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. So when did you first hear about her? When did you come across her as opposed to to the, the Steiff brand? Um, actually not that long ago, I want to say maybe five or six years ago, my mom gave me a book, um, that is called women living their dreams. And it's, it has short stories on a collection of women who did something at their, at their time that was, you know, that was very rare. So, I mean, obviously also Margarita Steiff founding her own company as a disabled woman, 
at this time was, you know, it was very seldom. So my mom gave me this little book with these little stories and I read about her and I thought, oh my God, that is so inspiring. Like as a woman, 1850, 1880s, then later on, you know, alone, not married, disabled, and you're still, you still have that strength to build up your mm -hmm. own company, to be independent, to be financially independent. I think that alone is... Um, yeah, I, I was going to ask you what you found so inspirational about her, though, because there's so many things, you know, she fought against, um, you know, having an education, she wanted to have a, an education, she she really worked hard at that. And then, you know, she was so successful in her business and her creativity. I mean, what is it for you that really kind of made you sit up and listen? I think Overall, probably her resilience that she kind of like fought against all the bad odds that were thrown her way. Um, you know, as a child with a disability, she still still fought for for her right to go to school, for her right to get an education, um, and then later on to to work. To you know, when she set up her her sewing studio, um, sewing machines as they were back in those days you had to actually use your right arm to to kind of like get them to go she couldn't because her right arm was just is disabled she couldn't move it so she actually like you know thought about how she could change the whole machine so she could work it with her left arm so just that that will to make it happen to mm. you know to get somewhere i think that is that's what inspired me the most about her i think you know there's so many people who would have just given up and yeah, she just didn't. And I think that is really, really cool. So you, you run the Finance Museum in Switzerland. You must be surrounded by stories about entrepreneurship. Um, perhaps you could tell us about some of your favorites there. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yes. So, I mean, yeah, we we exhibit a lot of historical shares and all these shares are obviously connected to a company which then has you know a story of its own so yes i'm i'm very much surrounded by by stories of entrepreneurship um i think one that probably a lot of people don't know but it's very present is um playboy so playboy the magazine uh you hefner founded it in uh, 1953 that's when the first issue was printed but back then, he didn't have enough money to get the first issue actually printed. So he went to his parents, his dad uh, told him he was not going to see any money from him for this kind of magazine. But then his mom gave him $1,000 so he could actually, you know, invest and print his first um his first issue of the Playboy. And she was later um, asked and she said, well, she didn't really believe in the, the idea of the magazine, but she believes in her son. So um, yeah, so he actually, you know, he had nothing. He had to convince his parents to give him the money or his mom. Um, and now when you look at it, you know, Playboy is, it's huge. There's so many things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, um, I think it's a nice story that, you know, that not everyone knows that ties to it. And um, we actually, in our collection, we have one of the, we have a Playboy share that we um, from time to time exhibit in the museum. So I think that actually when I went to the museum, that was one of the things that I remember coming home with and saying that I was so surprised to see, you know, Hugh Hefner's name up there and, mm -hmm. and, and that share certificate. But yeah, it's a, it's a fabulous story. What other stories can you tell us? Um, another one would probably be Lehman Brothers, the bank. Uh, everyone who, well, everyone who works in finance, but I think also like the broader public, when you say Lehman Brothers, they think of 
you know, 2008 and the global financial crisis, we all have these pictures in our heads of the Lehman bankers leaving the bank, carrying cardboard boxes through London um, when they were all let go. But also that company obviously had like a very, very long history. They started as cotton traders in the 1850s and ran like a very, very successful business um, back then. And from cotton trade, they kind of evolved to other trade and then, you know, onto investment banking. Um, so, yeah, I think that's also, that's also it, really, and, and actually they were like three brothers. So that's where the name comes from. So those three brothers who, who build up their cotton trade business and then turn it into the bank. And I can see very much, actually, that the, the museum is all about the stories behind the numbers. When you think about a finance museum, you think, well, what am I going to see at a finance museum? But actually, it's not just <laughs> numbers and facts and figures. It's yeah. actually stories. And, and that's the whole point, right? Yes, definitely. So what we're trying to do is we're, well, we have, we have share certificates from the first companies who ever actually issued shares, whoever, you know, um, were, were out there as a listed company. Um, and what we're trying to do is tell the history of kind of like the world economic history, you know, how it evolved from the first actual share companies to where we are today. So we exhibit these these real original um, shares and then we always tell the company's story with it so the idea is that obviously you know when you come you don't you think oh finance museum this might be a little dry it may be a lot of numbers but we're actually breaking it down so we have this storyline that goes and takes you through the museum and takes you through the history um mm -hmm. to make it more interactive and more and more actually also like easier to remember i guess for our guests and i guess if you're telling stories then you can almost talk about anything that you have a lot of freedom to to kind of tell economic history through any kind of story because I know that you have an exhibition right now I mean I know that the museum's closed currently because of coronavirus but there's a special exhibition on sport and money exactly tell yes. us about that yeah so we currently well we opened the special exhibition on sports and money in the summer of 2020 so after the first lockdown but then you know kind of right before the second closing um or not right but we were open for a couple months but then you know now it's closed again um and what we're trying to do there is we're showing the the financial streams and all the money that is moving around in sports. So we picked five sports. Um, so it's kind of like a... I'm guessing Federer's in there, but I don't know. He is. He is. He is. <laughs> yes. He is. So we're, we're looking at um, Formula One, tennis, horse riding, football, and skiing. And we picked this like wide, very wide, I want to say, um, net of sports because we thought everyone who comes is going to find something that they either have done or doing or at least can identify with. So mm -hmm. everyone can like find something that's interesting to them. Um, so obviously Federer is mentioned in the tennis bit, of course. Yes. Um, and your favorite sports or your favorite part? Um, well, my favorite See, I grew up with horses, so obviously the horse riding bit is a little bit my favorite part. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, overall, I the, the exhibition is very cool. It's it's totally different from what we're usually doing. It's very colorful. Um, it's very active. It's also, I think, the barrier to come to the finance museum to see something about sports is a lot lower for a lot of our guests than it would be, you know, for example, we had an exhibition on the SMI. I think that's a totally 
and different entry level for guests. So I also like that, that a lot of different people are coming now to see to see the exhibition. I mean, do, um, you, do you struggle to, to attract people to come to a finance museum? We don't struggle. We, we get a lot more visitors than we actually thought. And so we have around eight, eight and a half thousand visitors per, per year. And that is in a normal year, obviously, um, mm-hmm. not, not COVID related. And in Zurich, that puts us, you know, if you look at all the museums in Zurich, that puts us pretty much in the middle, which is really good considering that we're a very small and very specialist museum. And how has the museum itself been impacted by COVID-19? You, you're obviously closed currently. Well, we, we're definitely going to be closed until the end of February. That's our current status. Um, so I think for us, I mean, obviously it's a huge impact. You know, we cannot, we cannot welcome guests. We cannot give tours. Mm-hmm. Um, the first lockdown has, has taught us, but I think also everyone else in the museum industry that we need to find ways to also reach our guests and, and the interested public other than, you know, a, a physical museum visit. Um, and museums may have been a little bit behind on that, just probably also just given, you know, their, what they do, we exhibit history. So it's, a, and people want to see the original thing, right? You don't mm-hmm. want to look at a share on your computer. You actually want to go and see and stand up, stand in front of something that's from 1640 and was probably the first share ever issued. It's a different, it's a different feeling that you get. However, um, we're now working, actually, we are working on digital exhibition. Um, so a digital exhibition that's going to center around the golden twenties. Um, we've done a lot of like very short mini tours that we filmed that our guests can watch online. We have raised our social media presence. So I think we're, we're all trying to stay in contact with everyone. Um, yeah, and just trying mm-hmm. to make the best of it. Okay, we're going to get back to Marguerite Steiff in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to ask a little bit about you yourself, because you've been at the museum since the very beginning in, in 2017, but you also have a history in, in finance. What attracted you to museum life? Um, so what I did in my, so to speak, old life was um, PR and marketing for a financial company. And that is something where you, you know, in PR, you obviously, you take your company's information, you try to break that down in a way that then the journalist and obviously afterwards the the public understands it. So I always thought of myself a little bit as a, I don't know, like a transformator, like something that, you know, where where information flows through, I'm breaking it down, I'm giving it up. Um, And the museum is actually, running a museum is not that different. Um, We're taking information, we're setting ourselves a goal, you know, we want to bring something to to our guests to the public um and we need to kind of like you know we we need to work on that information that may be also complex because in the finance museum we obviously not just tell the stories of the world economic history we also try to explain how does an exchange work Mm -hmm. why why are exchanges important why do we actually need them what are different financial instruments um you know what is what is investing? How does investing actually work? Things like that. So it's and not just shares on display. It's not just share on display, but obviously like what is, you know, for example, what is an ETF? You can't really show the ETF. So we're working with a lot of multimedia installations to, mm-hmm. to make that It's easier. really interactive, actually, that yeah. part. I remember as well. Yeah. Like, it was really good when I went, yeah, that, 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 that interactivity you kind of really need. It, definitely, definitely, yeah. So in a way, I think, you know, my, what I do didn't really change that much. 
I'm still trying to explain finance to people. How important is financial literacy, do you think? And, and how much of a role do you play here in, in helping under, people understand finance? I think it's extremely important. I think it's especially extremely important for children and youth. There's studies out there that show that, you know, you need to actually start um, educating children starting at the age of maybe five or six about money, about what to do with money. Um, so that you can then prevent them, you know, getting in, um, falling into the depth trap, so to speak, um, when they're, you know, 16-ish teenagers or even mm-hmm. older. Um, so that is something that's very important to me, but it's like, and that I always do then bring to the museum. So we've set up workshops for, for children. Um, we're doing a lot of school programs. We're now also thinking, you know, with COVID and us being closed about how we can still bring these workshop, con- the, the, the workshop content, these, you know, things that we're teaching in the museum, how we could possibly bring them into a classroom as long as schools are still open. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's extremely important. And I think as a museum, we do have the duty to also educate. We're not just there for entertainment. I think we also need to, we need to do something and we need to do our part um, to improve financial literacy. And you really need to fight for this because um, this is when bringing it back to Marguerite Streif. I mean, she really fought for her education. You told us earlier that, you know, she insisted on this needlework training, this education, even though it caused her huge amounts of pain. And I wonder if you kind of see, you know, kind of parallels with her perseverance in, you know, kind of reaching her goal and actually what you're trying to achieve with financial literacy and, and you know, you, it's an uphill struggle. You have to kind of get this dry topic of finance over to people because it's not only interesting, but it's it's very important. Yeah, I think I would probably compare the perseverance part. I wouldn't go as far as to say I could, you know, possibly relate to what how she fought her fight. <laughs> um, I think that's different. I think hers was a lot bigger than mine is. But yes, I mean, Mm-hmm. this is my topic and this is where I want to go. And I really want to make a contribution, you know, to, to bring financial literacy, to make it a bigger topic. Do you see yourself as a connection then between the kind of nitty gritty of the finance world and the general public? Yes, definitely. Definitely. I think we, we as a finance museum, and then also me with my part in the museum, we're definitely kind of like the the, the middle part. And we're the ones that that have to try and, you know, explain it a little bit more um, to kind of like make that black box that the financial world is for so many people a little bit more transparent. Now, Marguerite died in 1909 from pneumonia. If you could go back in time and meet her in real life, what would you want to ask her? I think I would probably ask her something similar than um, you asked me. I would ask her, what was your inspiration? You know, what gave you what gave you the strength and what kept you going to reach your goal? What inspired you? Why did you want to do this so much? I think that would be really interesting to understand. And would you ever think of uh, perhaps an exhibition on somebody like Marguerite or, or, or you know, a, a lot's been done already about women in finance, but, you know, maybe female entrepreneurs or something like that? Definitely, yeah. I think that would be really interesting, especially if you would look at um, female entrepreneurs you know back in history so not so much now because there's a lot done already a lot of you know companies are founded by women um i think improvement is still needed but still it's it's we're on a good track overall 
Um, but I think if we go back in history and, and pick the ones that really did something special, I think that would make a very interesting exhibition, yes. Andrea Weidemann, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Hannah, for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thanks very much indeed to you for listening to this episode of The Six Podcast, looking at an entrepreneur against all the odds. And until next time, stay inspired. And you can hear more about inspiring leaders by downloading the six podcast series available wherever you get your podcasts.